there's a battle going on today for the heart and soul of America, and the right side must win. It's time for America Can We Talk with Debbie George Addis. On America Can We Talk, we talk truth about America and why it matters to you. America Can We Talk starts now. And good evening and welcome and thank you so very much for tuning in. I'm Debbie George Addis. Welcome to my show and to tonight's First Five. Well, all of you, if you are political enough to be listening to my show, you also likely realize that President Trump signed on Friday a $1.3 trillion, with a T, trillion, omnibus budget bill. And I want to go through what uh, a bunch of points about that in, the opening, in this opening segment. And I want to end by telling you that there's one massive fake news lie floating around out there that all of you need to understand about this budget bill. But first, of course, for having a time a vote where we have the Republican majority in the House and the Senate and we hold the White House, to have this massive budget bill passed was extremely disappointing to many people. Um, $1.3 trillion. Um, and I want to run through some a few good news about it, a lot of bad news about it, and then fix and correct this one extremely important, misleading bit of information out there. I guess you shouldn't call it information if it's false. Anyway, the good news was we fully funded the military. On the conservative side, of course, premise number one, just important item number one, for the president was getting the military funded. And this is a $61 billion defense um, funding increase over F, uh, fiscal year 2017 levels. Um, other good news, we did not fund the Obamacare bailout money to insurance companies. This is a good one. And so there, we are, have left it open to do the repeal and replace uh, effort, which the Republicans are still going to undertake. It also does not fund or give amnesty to or in any way help the DACA people, the people here under DACA. It also, the consortiums did manage to kill a proposed new Internet sales tax. But the bad news of the bill, and there's a lot of it, funding for sanctuary cities is in there despite promises not to do that. Funding for Planned Parenthood in there. Uh, no funding for the border wall. In fact, a very specific provision that prohibits spending to build the kind of wall President Trump wants. You can paint the existing little fence, but you can't build the wall he wants. Um, gun violence research money. This is a bad one. This is what a lot of the Second Amendment advocates are concerned about. Because once you have a federal, whoever it's going to be, investigation, a study about the causes of gun violence, once that happens, it'll lead to recommendations for more laws. It also fails to reduce funding to the EPA. Well, Ann Coulter is hysterical about this bill. She's She was interviewed. She just said, you know, America's going to become South Africa, which if you were listening to my podcast this last week or my show about two weeks ago, South Africa is just suffering horribly. And she's saying that in America, if we cannot control, and Coulter saying, can't get control of our borders, we're going to become South Africa. Um, she also makes the point that of a 70, 70-point immigration goal, uh, point a list of points that President Trump committed he wanted to do, exactly zero of those got put into this bill. So that's a pretty big deal. She ends up saying there's no point in voting in this 2018 midterms. Obviously, the GOP abandons the conservatives just like the Democrats do. And I, that is where she's wrong. She's just flat out wrong. We do have a lot of people in the GOP who simply went along with and voted for this bill. We had, though, some conservatives who did not. Senator Ted Cruz in the great state of Texas, our, my senator, did not vote for it. 
some of the congressmen from Texas did not. Uh, in particular, I want to mention Louie Gohmert. There were conservative Republicans from Texas, actual conservatives, who did not vote for this. Many Republicans did vote for it. Those are the ones you ought to try to primary. These are people who are going to let the status quo be perpetuated and perpetuated, either because they like the status quo, they like the funding of the um, helping out the Chamber of Commerce and not securing the border. They like these liberal ideas, um, or they're just too afraid of a shutdown. Either way, they need to go. But the big lie out there, and it's so important to understand, because this was floating all over Twitter and all over Facebook, there is a myth out there that because Congress passed an omnibus, which is what this bill was called, an omnibus spending bill, instead of passing a budget, this means that Trump was again playing four-dimensional chess, has outmaneuvered the Republicans, outmaneuvered the Democrats, because he supposedly cannot spend any of the money that is allotted in this omnibus because it was an omnibus and not a budget. This is false. This is perhaps the Trump lovers who just think you know, that he can do no wrong. President Trump is not happy about this bill, not happy at all. And he signed it mainly because of the military funding. In fact, we're going to play a clip from him next segment as soon as we come back from our break. But what he had to say about this, but this notion, I want to use to tell you the language that people are talking about. The real way that you get to a budget here in America, the president issues a budget proposal, Congress passes a budget resolution, and then Congress starts the appropriation process. That means your process of allotting money, assigning money to these various items in the budget. Because Congress does not ever manage to get all 12 total areas of government funding done on an individual basis, they end up passing an omnibus or else a continuing resolution. Either way, it's an appropriation. President Trump cannot refuse to spend the money. Exciting as an idea sounds, it is not true. And and President Trump is not excited about spending this money. I will say, to counter what Ann Coulter had to say, the goal is not to stay home the 2018 midterms. The goal is to get more conservatives in Congress so they don't pass such a ridiculous bill as the Omnibus Bill of 2018. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. This is America Can We Talk. You come back, we're going to hear from President Trump, and then I'm going to talk with you about this march in Washington of the infantile high school students who need to be in class instead of marching saying stupid things. Come right back. Attention Ronald Reagan fans. What is the one item most sought after by Americans who love the Gipper? It's Young America's Foundation's Reagan Ranch Calendar. Young America's Foundation is the leading youth outreach organization dedicated to ensuring that increasing numbers of young Americans understand and are inspired by the ideas of individual freedom, a strong national defense, free enterprise, and traditional values. New audiences of young people across the country are introduced to conservative ideas through Young America's Foundation's programs, including the Reagan Ranch Program. The Reagan Ranch calendar contains spectacular images of the Gipper enjoying his beautiful 688-acre ranch, the Western White House. For a limited time, the calendar is free. Even shipping is free. To receive your beautiful Reagan Ranch calendar from Young America's Foundation, call 800-USA-1776 and mention the phrase Reagan Gift. Again, the number is 1-800-USA-1776 and Reagan Gift is the code. Learn more about Young America's Foundation at www.yaf.org. That's yaf.org. America guarantees each eligible adult citizen the right to vote. 
The Public Interest Legal Foundation, a 501c3 public interest law firm, is dedicated entirely to election integrity, to assuring that voter rolls include names of only citizens eligible to vote, and that protections are in place to prevent voter fraud of all kinds. The Public Interest Legal Foundation discovered that more than 1,000 non-citizens enrolled to vote in Virginia in just eight counties, and in Philadelphia, felons as well as non-citizens are on the voter rolls. Non-citizens have been registering to vote and voting. The Public Interest Legal Foundation is fighting nationwide and in Texas to ensure that only Americans pick American leaders. We are actively litigating high-impact cases to clean up voter rolls and protect the ballot box. If you do not want your vote canceled out, visit publicinterestlegal.org to join us in the fight to restore integrity to American elections. Protect your vote. Visit publicinterestlegal.org today. Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. Let me tell you about the group Vice President Mike Pence called the most effective grassroots pro-life organization in America. It's the Susan B. Anthony List, and they're the ones who are on Capitol Hill right now, day in, day out, to fight back against Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry. Every day in our nation, abortion takes more than 2,000 innocent lives, almost two every single minute of every single day. And Planned Parenthood is the largest abortion business in the country, committing one-third of all abortions. It's an unspeakable tragedy and a stain upon our nation and our humanity. And it's up to us to do something about it. This is your opportunity to join the team that's leading the charge to end abortion. Go to sba-list.org or Google Susan B. Anthony List now to learn more and start saving lives today. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie George Addis. Thank you so very much for tuning in. I selected a clip I wanted to have uh, play. I believe Greg, I haven't talked to Greg, my happy board. Yeah, we have it. Okay, good. Uh, of, of President Trump and his response announcing he was going to sign. He originally, originally had said he was considering vetoing the um, omnibus bill. He did sign it. I want to uh, play a quick clip from him. As a matter of national security, I've signed this omnibus budget bill. There are a lot of things that I'm unhappy about in this bill. There are a lot of things that we shouldn't have had in this bill, but we were, in a sense, forced, if we want to build our military, we were forced to have. There are some things that we should have in the bill. But I say to Congress, I will never sign another bill like this again. I'm not going to do it again. 
Nobody read it. It's only hours old. Some people don't even know what it is. $1.3 trillion. It's the second largest ever. President Obama signed one that was actually larger, which I'm sure he wasn't too happy with either. But in this case, it became so big because we need to take care of our military. Okay, sorry, I jumped in twice. I wasn't sure he was done speaking. But I will say to those people, very, very disappointed, and I'm disappointed. I, I, I'm a, you know, I'm a fiscal conservative. I understand the need uh, that, you know, federal spending is not just a problem because we may end up broke, because we may end up actually having financial crash as a result. It's also a signal or a sign or a measure of the power the federal government still holds over American lives. Expanding and spending is expanding and control over American lives, and it is, a, it is control over the freedom of the individual. It, there are many reasons it's a bad thing. I don't agree with Ann Coulter that we just throw our hands up. We have to actually insist on sending more fiscal conservatives with more backbone to Washington because I think President Trump would have signed a much smaller one. He would have taken the heat about the argument from the American left, but I think he didn't have enough people with backbone in Congress to give him a bill he liked. So that's our goal. Okay, I'm going to turn. You know what? I always have every week when I do this show, I have more topics and time. I forgot to say something right at the beginning, which is to wish everyone, I hope you had a very wonderful and blessed Palm Sunday. I love Easter season. I love this Holy Week. I love the notion of Easter. It is the most important holiday uh, on the Christian calendar. And I love this year, I was going to mention, I'm going to talk about next week too, that Passover for our Jewish friends begins on Good Friday this year. So in the same Holy Week that we're in the middle, now between Palm Sunday and Easter, uh, Passover begins on Friday. And I have actually pastor friends who are obviously Christian who also observe Passover because they see it at the, the Old Testament, you know, the, the reason for Passover, it's, it's a bridge, it's a beginning of the, the, the growth in scriptures into the truth of what Christians embrace in, in the New Testament and the birth of Christ. So anyway, love Passover, love Easter season, hope you had a very lovely um, Palm Sunday. But back to America, which is actually a gift from God. Um, I do want to talk about this march that happened in Washington. And in particular, there are two young people, um, Emma Gonzalez and David Hogg, are two young people who went to Parkland, the school in Florida, where this massive shooting occurred. And it was obviously horrific. I'll just give... Five seconds of I'm sorry for them and everybody else who was in, impacted by that had to be it'll be seared in the memories for life. Having said that, these are young people so ignorant, and I want to tell you some of the things they're ignorant about and how serious their conduct is. Not just their conduct in speaking and leading marches, but worse, more so, is the media gives them attention and acts like these are actually intelligent, insightful comments they are making, and they are not. These are people ignorant, just profoundly ignorant of human history, ignorant of what happens in a society when you agree the government can take away the guns from the fellow citizens, that somehow you're safer if only those in power have guns and the people who might need to defend themselves don't have any guns. This is an ignorance of a history you're seeing. You know, I understand it was that these massive rallies feel good. They're emotional. These people are, you know, reacting to the horror they saw that day. They want something done. It's like an emotional reaction, and you can understand it, except what they're demanding of the government is take away other people's rights so I'll feel safer. 
they're wrong on both counts. You do not you do not have rallies and protests in America to say shut down someone's religious or free, religious freedom, shut down their free speech, shut down their fourth amendment rights to privacy, shut down their right to due process. This is the same thing. This is a fundamental constitutional right and they are marching to say to tell the government to take away somebody else's rights. And they're ignorant of the society they will create if they get their wish. They're ignorant of the society that they're advocating for. They're also ignorant of the real causes of gun violence. No one ever apparently taught them in school that in America's history, we've had times decades long where the per capita gun ownership, meaning per person gun ownership, is higher than it is now. The guns aren't doing the killing. What they don't want to talk about because they're either too ignorant or too frightened is the real causes of gun violence. We have young people engaged in hysteria, apparently unaware of many of the common denominators, the consistent factors throughout many of these uh, these shootings by young people. One being nearly all of them are fatherless. We have a society lacking in family structure, lacking in males in the home, role modeling, responsible adulthood. I'm talking about the shooters you see, like the guy in Florida and a bunch of the other shootings. These are we have an epidemic of fatherlessness being carried out, being being the impact you're seeing in these shootings. We have an, a, a society that has abandoned the idea of God and right and wrong and morality. Everything is a whatever you believe is good with me. All our beliefs are the same. Instead of a rooting in Judeo-Christian ideas in this culture. We're somehow proud of having being post-God, post, post-religion, post-truth, and that is so wrong. They are, they are wrong. But this whole notion of the breakdown of Judeo-Christian morality is what is contributing to these young people, uh, the, this kind of violent acts we're seeing. And when you see these protesters in Washington Melt, you know, just and I will say, particularly David Hogg. I actually had a clip I was going to play by him, and I couldn't stand giving him any more oxygen. This is the, the problem with the media in this country playing their speeches as though they are saying anything. There's their grandiloquent, you know, fancy words saying nothing. They're saying nothing. They're just talking about we're going to stand up and saying horrible things about their parents and parents' generation, ignorant of the importance of the Second Amendment. And that's what I want to turn to now about why the Second Amendment is there. The Second Amendment to the United States Constitution that says people have the right to keep and bear arms is not there to make sure you get to go hunting or even for self-defense or for target shooting. It is there to keep the balance of power between the people and the government. It is the primary purpose the primary purpose of the Second Amendment. And in history in the world, when you look around at countries that decided to go ahead and because they somehow trusted their leaders or they were forced to give their guns up, you end up with government having all the power, government have all the guns. And, and I'll give you examples. Cuba, after Fidel Castro won the revolution, his actual message was, "Turn, hey, we won. The people, we the people won. Turn in your guns. Now you'll be safe. And look what it's like. You can't leave Cuba. You can't express yourself in Cuba. You can't even speak. You can't have rallies unless the government agrees with you. The, the 
possession of guns in the hands of, of private owners in a country is part of the balance of power. It happened with Stalin. It happened with all the evil. It happened with Hitler taking away weapons from the Jews. Over and over and over, the evil doers in this world have taken away the guns of the citizens, taken away the guns of the people they intend to oppress. Now, you might be listening and thinking, oh, come on, though. This is America. This is America. We are stable. We are secure. We have a great country. Nothing could go wrong. None of those things could ever happen here. America is different. Well, what do you think? You heard, if you were tuning in, tuned in the first segment, you realized that in this omnibus disaster budget that was passed in Washington, part of what was passed was a study to understand what brings gun Oh, there was something else good about guns. There was some money put in for schools to study gun violence. I, I don't think they need to study it that much, but at least you're trying to look at what's happening in schools. But the idea you're going to have a study by a bunch of liberal big government people in Washington, they're not going to come out and saying more Americans should learn responsible gun ownership. They're not going to come out and say more people should learn how to shoot and to carefully handle weapons. They're going to say more and more people shouldn't have guns. They're going to increase the categories of people who shouldn't have guns. And the other thing when you start taking away gun rights is how does the government enforce them? enforce those gun rights, how do they, how they enforce this confiscation of guns without coming to your home, without searching your home, without, if they're going to talk about mental health, without searching your mental health records, without your permission to try to decide if you should get to be a gun owner. I'll tell you something, a little fact to tuck in your thought about all of this. Right now, all these marchers are really proud of themselves because they're talking about AR, you know, automatic rifles, AR-15 or 17, whatever they were. The point is they're talking about weapons that sound scary. But if you start to agree the Second Amendment doesn't really apply, let me just tell you, what kind of gun is used in half of all homicides in America? What kind of gun? Handguns. You want to know the next thing they'll be after is handguns. You won't have any protection left. I'm Debbie Georgias, America Coming Talk. We come back. We're changing subjects to school choice. Great guests joining us. Don't go away. Our nation faces a choice. The path of big government based out of Washington or the unique brand of liberty and prosperity enjoyed here in Texas. For 27 years, the Texas Public Policy Foundation has helped leaders in the Lone Star State prove that fiscal restraint and small government can deliver opportunity and prosperity for all. The Texas Public Policy Foundation promotes and defends solutions here and around the country based on liberty, free enterprise, and personal responsibility. Whether informing the national debate on property rights energy, taxes, education, or criminal justice, the foundation works to translate ideas into real change. The Texas Public Policy Foundation does not accept government funds or contributions to influence the outcome of its research. It is supported by thousands of people like you who are concerned about the future of our country. You can help Texas remain strong as the beacon of liberty in America. Visit TexasPolicy.com to learn more. If you want to get at the issues that really matter for women and men, go to IWF.org. That's the Independent Women's Forum. IWF is all about increasing the number of American women who value free markets and personal liberty. IWF's motto is all issues are women's issues. They bring a fact-based approach to politics, policy, and culture. When the left tried to peddle a phony war on women... 
IWF shot back with facts and figures. American women aren't victims in need of ever-increasing government protection. And IWF doesn't think things are perfect, but they believe that individual liberty is the key to prosperity and fulfillment. Along with their sister organization, Independent Women's Voice, IWVoice.org, which is a leader in the fight against Obamacare, they offer policy papers, op-eds, and a popular blog on issues of the day. So visit IWF at IWF.org. That's IWF.org. If there's one thing the conservative movement needs, it's a leader. And we have one, the Heritage Foundation. Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Heritage gets in the trenches on Capitol Hill. They promote principled solutions directly to lawmakers in Washington. And unlike politicians, they don't waver or compromise. But they're not a Washington institution. There are nearly a half million heritage members and supporters in America. And they're on a mission to grow that number and build the conservative base. You can become a heritage member by going to joinheritage.org today. I've been a member of Heritage myself for years. I have heritage experts on my show, and I rely on their analysis to get the facts out. As a member, you'll get updates from Heritage Foundation on the fight for conservative solutions to America's challenges. Plus, you'll receive exclusive invitations to conservative events where you live. So join the growing movement. Find out more at joinheritage.org. That's joinheritage.org. There's a lot of talk today among media and academia in our culture about everything that is supposedly wrong with America. Political correctness tries to dictate that we must stop thinking that America is exceptional. America's bravest have our back in the air, at sea, and on land. But who has America's back in the culture? In schools, on cable television, in newspapers, it's time to end the greatest prejudice on earth, anti-Americanism. And who makes the case for America? Flag does. Flag is the foundation for liberty and American greatness. Flag has America's back on the cultural battlefield. Flag is a nonprofit battle tank working to change the cultural and media narrative about America. If you think it's time to stand up for America, join the Foundation for Liberty and American Greatness. Your support of Flag is an investment in the America your children will inherit. Visit their website at flagusa.org and consider donating. All donations are 100% tax deductible. That's flagusa.org. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I mentioned before the break that we have a guest joining us this hour, and I didn't get to introduce her because I got kind of wound up, but I will tell you we have on the phone Stacy Hawk, uh, whom I've had the great pleasure of meeting, um, but she is the co-founder of Texans for Education Opportunity. She's also on the board of one of our favorite organizations, the Texas Public Policy Foundation. In fact, they advertise on this show. Um, and in reading her um, resume, getting ready for this interview— I um, discovered that she actually has a Bachelor of Science in Computer Science and Electrical Engineering from MIT, which reminds me of something my father used to say. I had this friend who had a master's in, like, nuclear physics or some ridiculous topic. Whenever she was around, my father would say, I'm not even going to talk while she's here because I don't want to say anything stupid. Okay, Stacy, do we have Stacy Hawk online? Yes, I'm here, Debbie. Hi, Stacey. Well, welcome to America Can We Talk. And I am just so glad you could join us. And I mentioned before you came on that you are the co-founder of an organization here in Texas, Texans for Education Opportunity. And in reading more about you, you've just been really uh, onto this issue of, of school choice 
for public education kids, for for, uh, children. And I'm just to start with, uh, welcome to the show. And then tell us, why are you so uh, dedicated to uh, pushing towards school choice for children? Well, thanks for having me. And I just know how much I benefited from a really high quality public education. It just made all the difference for me and the options that were available going forward in my career and in my life. And I think that it's a solvable problem. You know, for a long time, we felt in some cases when kids were underperforming that it might have to do with things that were more outside of our control. And what I have discovered and become convinced of is that it's absolutely within our control, and with no more money, we can do a much better job serving Texas's public education students. And in that process, we'll raise their boats and raise all of our boats. So I think it's worth pursuing. Well, I'll tell you, and I uh, had meant to let you know this before we came on tonight, but um, I we recently had an event in our home on Friday night, actually, a couple nights ago, uh, for Star Parker, who is uh, the founder of Cure, which has to do with, uh, it's the Center for Urban Renewal and Education. I don't know if you happen to know her, but... She is a just deeply involved in trying to lift up the lives of inner city children around America and encourage their parents to embrace conservative ideas. But she is a ardent, strong supporter of school choice, and she sees it for the lowest income of American children, just the only or the best step possible to give them a chance to move forward in life. It really does, for many children, make really all children make all the difference. And I think that most parents know that. They know that is the key to unlocking opportunity for their kids. It's the great equalizer. And we want all children to have that. So what are the choices available, like the, the beyond the concept? And if, so to be really clear, we're talking about instead of having the historical choice of a public school made by the zip code you happen to live in, in some way, implementing legislation that gives kids or gives parents really a chance to choose a different public school for their child. Is that right? That's right. I think most of the time when we hear school choice, we think of private school choice. And the majority of states have programs today that allow families to take a subset of their child's public education funding and let that follow them to the education of their choice whether it be a private school or, in some cases, homeschool expenses or specialized therapists and tutors in the case of a special needs child who would benefit from um, a specially skilled person. Um, And what we're finding is that it's serving children well across America, and so we're hopeful that that's the kind of policy that we could do here in Texas as well. Okay, you just said a majority of states already have this in place, have permitting a child to take or a family to take the money and take it to a private school? Yes, that's correct. It's about 30 states wow. plus Washington, D.C. in the U.S. have some form of a program. So in most cases, it is limited to children who come from low-income families or, and or children who have special needs. Okay, I'm taking notes while you're talking. I'm so sorry. Um, I'm, I I did not know it was that broadly um, spread around, which is just great news to me. So uh, I want to. There are some different ways or vehicles a state could embrace to let to to help this to happen. So the ones you're describing, where a parent would take money and, and allot it, whatever the public school would have spent, allot it to a private school, is that done via a uh, payment to the parent, or is it just the parent directs the money to the to the private school? How does that work? That's right. So 
very traditionally back in the 90s, we heard about voucher programs, and it would be that a parent would choose the school the child would go to, and the government would send the money to the school via a voucher, um, a voucher credit. That's not really what policy we're seeing implemented these days. We sort of evolved, and what became popular in the aughts was tax credit scholarships. And so corporations and individuals could make donations to scholarship-granting organizations that were authorized by the state, and they would receive a tax credit for those contributions up to some sort of limit. And then the scholarship-granting organizations would grant scholarships to children who qualify under the program to go to a private schooling. Um, the most recent vehicle that we're finding most states are moving to in most new legislation is an education savings account. And I really think that is the most exciting thing I've seen because it empowers families with the most options. And I think it really lays the groundwork for a marketplace of innovation in education. We could really start to see education services look different. And what we think of as traditional K-12 education uh, evolving beyond kind of some of the traditional barriers we've put on it and empowering families with even more options. And what would happen in that case is that the funding that the student would be eligible for would go into an account, much like a 529 uh, an account plan that parents use to save for college, and those dollars could then be allocated at the parent's discretion for the child's education, and it would be limited to just for the benefit of that child's K-12 education. Okay, so this, I, I, I did want to try to understand the logistics of this uh, education savings account. So a parent has to open it, an account to start with, right? That, that's correct. And so what, how, that would, how that's played out in other states and how we anticipate that would happen in, in Texas is that a parent would opt to say, okay, we will opt out of our neighborhood public school option and we would like to opt into the education savings account. And they would apply online. It would be probably a pretty simple online form. And this would be a program that would be overseen by the comptroller's office. It's probably how it would be done here in Texas. And when they open that account, it would primarily be online-based. And they would get access. They would, there would essentially be resources or money deposited into that account that the parent could then direct where it goes. And so in most cases, the majority of that money would direct towards private school, and then the check would be issued from the account straight to the school. So the money would never go into the parent's hands, but they would get to direct how it's spent to um, approved vendors from the education savings account. Okay, if you're just tuning in, I'm sorry for you, but if you're just tuning in, we're speaking with Stacy Hawk, who is uh, just an amazing person, very dedicated to helping uh, bring along, move forward school choice in Texas and around the country. And uh, she founded an organization which is called Texans for Education Opportunity. She also works, uh, she's on the board of the Texas Public Policy Foundation and an expert in this field. And so I really want to, I'm kind of trying to drill down here a little bit. So you, did you say a few minutes ago that the ESA system would be that individuals or corporations, like I as a taxpayer, could say, I think I'll, I want to donate toward, you wouldn't even know which child it was, you're just donating toward this cause, is that right? Yes, it could be done that way, where the funding for the ESAs comes from a tax credit, which is individuals and businesses being eligible to make donations in support of it, and that would 
they would receive a tax credit for their donation up to a certain limit, and that's how they, we, would, we would fund potentially the ESA program. There are other ways to fund it as well. We could fund it out of the foundation school program or out of general revenue from the state, uh, but it would really be administered and uh, overseen at the state level. Okay, so then I want to I want to hit a few more things on this, and we're going to go to our break. So the choices a school a, a state could have in trying to create something, you're saying vouchers were a little bit uh, the '90s era thing, uh, and then the next one you had. I'm trying to read my notes here. Tax credit, um, but you, the, moving. Sorry, go ahead. Yes, tax credit scholarships are well, what we really saw come about in the odds. Okay, but then this one year, this choice now is this educational savings account, which I, I love that idea too. And so the parents could never get access to the money for any use except education. The parents could then choose which school to, to have their child apply to. You also mentioned that you think it's likely that in these ESAs, it'd mostly be private schools that, that parents were choosing. And I do want to, when we get back from the break, ask you about you know what is the impact of the these this kind of system on a uh, currently functioning public school that has challenges don't you end up losing all the best kids and families so when we come back we're going to keep on talking about school choice in texas it's a very important topic folks it's very important to understand texas is going to deal with our legislature uh, probably this coming uh, time and we know all about it so I'll come right back America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy organizations and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out centerforsecuritypolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's centerforsecuritypolicy.org. Texans have a long tradition of independence, and we don't like being told what to do, especially by liberal bureaucrats 1,000 miles away. That's why for 30 years, the Dallas-based Institute for Policy Innovation has fought Washington's efforts to take more of your money and freedom. IPI works every day to keep taxes low and freedom high, to promote free market health care, expand energy security, protect intellectual property, and combat onerous regulations that destroy American jobs. Politicians often talk smaller government, but then vote for more of it. By contrast, IPI has never veered from its mission to defend the Constitution and fight for freedom. If you want to be informed about free market policies and solutions, go to IPI's website and sign up. All of their information is free for sharing. Help IPI restore liberty and economic growth. Go to IPI.org today. That's IPI.org. One more time, go to IPI.org today. Could you lose your career because of your faith? Could your pastor be sued because of his sermons? Can students and teachers be punished because of what they believe about God? Can the government or even your employer force you to violate your beliefs? 
Get the answers and, if necessary, legal protection from First Liberty Institute. First Liberty is the nation's largest legal organization dedicated exclusively to restoring religious freedom in America. In fact, First Liberty's nationwide network of top attorneys win over 90% of their cases. They've won at the Supreme Court all the way down to local schools. Visit FirstLiberty.org to learn more about how First Liberty is protecting religious freedom for all Americans in the workplace, public schools, your church, the military, and more. That's FirstLiberty.org. If you want hope for religious freedom and a free listing of your rights, go to FirstLiberty.org now. Attention Ronald Reagan fans. What is the one item most sought after by Americans who love the Gipper? It's Young America's Foundation's Reagan Ranch Calendar. Young America's Foundation is the leading youth outreach organization dedicated to ensuring that increasing numbers of young Americans understand and are inspired by the ideas of individual freedom, a strong national defense, free enterprise, and traditional values. New audiences of young people across the country are introduced to conservative ideas through Young America's Foundation's programs, including the Reagan Ranch Program. The Reagan Ranch calendar contains spectacular images of the Gipper enjoying his beautiful 688-acre ranch, the Western White House. For a limited time, the calendar is free. Even shipping is free. To receive your beautiful Reagan Ranch calendar from Young America's Foundation, call 800-USA-1776 and mention the phrase Reagan Gift. Again, the number is 1-800-USA-1776 and Reagan Gift is the code. Learn more about Young America's Foundation at www.yaf.org. That's yaf.org. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I meant to mention also, if you're watching on Facebook Live, thank you for watching on Facebook Live. Um, love doing it. And we do cut off uh, at every commercial break. We end, so we're just, if you're watching, you get to end this segment and you see us turn off. Come back in four minutes. We'll be back. Okay, so we're talking with Stacey Hawk about school choice. And this is an issue, um, We, in fact, I spoke with Stacey a few days ago about um, just talking about this interview and the issue of school choice. And, you know, I, I just, I, I think, first of all, the people who are involved in trying to bring school choice have the, just the uh, most earnest and right thinking behind the idea of how do you actually help young, uh, especially inner city, lower income children who just barely, you know, they, they, they need to be given every opportunity possible to help them get out of the, out of that inner city to find a way forward to, uh, to a life of success, a a life of self-reliance. And so I, I love the feel of it, but there are of course people who are, are, find, uh, are worried about the school choice, uh, effort in this country. So I want to start with Stacey. What do you know about, what happens to a very low-performing public school where the most responsible kids, the most responsible families, the best-performing kids all use school choice and kind of rob the school of the—not uh, rob, but they remove from the school the most, uh, you know, the, the best-performing kids. Doesn't that leave a school really struggling even more then? Well, that is a fear, and fortunately, we have some great things to point to. One is in Florida, where they've done, I think, the most robust uh, analysis or study on what happened to kids who stayed right where they were. They have the largest private school choice program in the country. Over 150,000 children participate, and they were able to very closely track the outcomes of both the kids who 
uh, participated in the program as well as the kids who did not. And what they found was even the children who stayed right where they were outperformed how they would have otherwise. It raised everyone's boat in the process. Now, the question is why? And we don't exactly know, but one thing we do know is that the children who were struggling the most were actually the ones who took advantage of the program. And it may be that, as we all know, that in a classroom, a teacher's resources are not perfectly allocated. They may end up um, disproportionately working with children who are struggling the most. And so if an opportunity existed for those children to pursue a different model that might better serve them, that teacher's time and instruction might be reallocated to those who were better served by the model that already exists. That's one theory. Um, I think there's also theory that there is power in agency and having a choice, and so it may lean towards folks investing more in the choices that they make and, and pursuing success. A great example we had here in Texas was with the proliferation of IDEA, public schools, a charter school network in the Rio Grande Valley. It used to be that if you looked at a heat map of failing schools in Texas, the Rio Grande Valley would be red. It was underperforming. And IDEA Public School charter schools opened up there. They are public. They are open enrollment, lottery-based public schools. About 6% of the public school population transitioned into IDEA Public Schools. And as that happened, we watched the local neighborhood public schools improve. Their outcomes improved, the educational attainment improved, and now if you look at a heat map, the Rio Grande Valley is almost entirely green. Um, they are no longer underperforming the rest of the state. It's very interesting. That is interesting, and it's interesting the uh, you're uh, laying out the possibilities of what, what the factors are that would cause education to improve. We have the general notion, and it's kind of a universal truth, which is, you know, competition improves the quality of things. I mean, I would think if I were running a low pro- a principal or a teacher at a low-performing public school, I would want— I, I would want to prove we can do better. I mean, up until the, when there has been no choice for students, and so they just have zip code dictated student attendance, you, I mean, teachers care. I don't mean imply they don't otherwise care, but if they felt like they were losing students because people thought other choices of education were better, you'd be inspired to try to improve your school. I think it's, it's, almost, like, it's, it's almost like free market thinking. That's exactly right. And, you know, I think the highest performing superintendents and principals do have that at their forefront. They are not afraid of competition. I've heard it again and again from folks that says, I welcome it. You know, I want to be able to compete. And if I'm not able to compete, then shame on me. But the reason we went into this industry was to educate children. And we want what's best for children, and we're not afraid of it. So I think that's right. Yeah, the other thing, other factor on this, all, especially as you're making reference to private schools, I do, uh, you know, our, we were very blessed that we were able to put our kids uh, through private school, and they had, you know, very stringent admission standards, and, and, every, and kids got turned down because they weren't able to perform at the academic level the school expected. So if this were to go in place as a broad-based Texas thing, would private schools have the right to continue to apply their admission standards or would there be some adjusted standards to deal with people who are trying to come to school using whatever system Texas embraced? Absolutely. So this is one of the most important things. 
we do not in any way want to infringe upon the private sector to do what it does. And all the legislation that has been considered in Texas thus far has been very explicit about that. There can be no regulatory creep. There can be nothing that's added as a burden on private schooling for schools to choose to participate in these programs. We do not want that to happen. In the very rare instances where it has, the programs have underperformed because only the schools that were struggling and underperforming the private schools were the ones who were willing to participate because the high-performing public schools didn't want to add any kind of regulatory demand onto what they were doing. They were already they had a good thing going and they wanted to re maintain their independence. And so the vast, vast majority out of the over 60 private school choice programs in the country, many of which have been around for over multiple decades, um, we have not seen any kind of regulatory creep, but it's something that we have to be vigilant about making sure that we resist if we pursue something like this in Texas. Okay, you just said 60 private school choice programs around the country. That must mean that in some states, people obviously, some states have more than one system going at the same time. Is that right? That's right. In some cases, they might have a program that specializes in serving children with low income and a separate program that specializes in serving children who are special needs. Okay. And so you're, I like your expression, no regulatory creep, and that kind of gets to the heart of what I want to um, wrap up with, which is this is the fear that, um, you know, I, I mean, I'll just take if you happen to have your children in parochial school, in a Christian school, you actually want to be able to teach Christian values. I mean, you want you parents choose that school because they want them to to teach things to them of Christian morality, what marriage is, what you know, the importance of life. So this is the kind of when I talk about regulatory creep, or, or I, what I'm concerned about is, would you see over time, or and you say you're vigilant about, would you see over time the pressure on private schools to stop teaching things that are that conform with their particular religious views? Um, because they're, they're taking month, taking students who are coming to the school through a school choice program. Absolutely not. And that's, that's the great thing. I mean, parochial schools tend to be one of the greatest providers of students who participate in these programs. We have not seen that happen over time. The courts have determined that there is, as long as it is the parent's choice, as long as the parents are making the choice and not the government, um, there is no problem in using these school choice programs to utilize their child's education funding and go to a religious school. That's in no way a conflict, and it in no way gives the government any ability to tell that school how to operate beyond the basic accreditation standards that our private schools already adhere to, um, which has more to do with safety and academic standards. This is really, really enlightening and very helping, very helpful. Stacey, uh, I mentioned a couple of times, but you're the co-founder of Texans for Education Opportunity. Uh, so if our listeners want to hear more about what you're doing and what your philosophy is, how do they find you online? Yes, we would love it. We're online. On, we have a webpage, which is texansforeducationopportunity.com and org, or we're on Facebook. You can join our mailing list. You can follow us on Facebook to get our updates, and we would welcome it. I love that. And I do love, honestly, I, I happen to know several people really active in the school choice movement. And there's just, it is one, one of the greatest things because the motive is just love, to my, in my terms, love of your fellow man, wanting to make something help your fellow man 
of the better way forward uh, other than the low-performing public school or that for whatever reason a school doesn't meet your child's need. I love it. Plus, I love freedom. I love competition. So, Stacey, thanks so much for calling in tonight. I really, really appreciate that. Thanks, Debbie. Thanks for having me. That was Stacey Hawk. And again, she I, I, the website address I wrote down is txedopportunity.org. But I really urge you to read more about it. And even, I don't usually recommend Wikipedia, but even Wikipedia had a good summary of all the different ways you can do a school choice. Uh, scholarship tax credits, vouchers, charter schools. There are different vehicles for it. But really, this is a, you know, when you think about the fact that we happen to have evolved in America to a public school system that is more or less driven by zip code, but that's not really necessary. It's just happened historically to be the way we have and to be innovative. Oh, actually, there are also magnet schools and homeschooling. And I do know, and I will have some time on my show, uh, uh, talk with someone who is concerned about whether the expansion of school choice will end up hurting uh, private schools, uh, students, uh, potentially even hurting homeschool parents when they have these seeming more and more control coming from the government into their home. I, I know the school choice advocates are strong, as you heard Stacy talking about, not wanting that to happen. So it's a great topic, no more about. I have another minute here in this segment, so I'm going to fill in. I want to say, first of all, we are saying goodbye to our Phoenix listeners because we don't have a show on the second hour in Phoenix. So love talking with you. Thank you so very much for tuning in this first hour. Would love to have you be on in Phoenix the second hour. I want to also say hello, of course, to our Dallas listeners in 660 AM and also our listeners in Colorado Springs. I also want to thank the sponsor of this show, which I could not do this show without them. It is called GC Works, and GC Works is a Dallas-based company that performs research in advanced technology and delivers innovative approaches to the oil and gas industry. Simply could not do the show without them. So grateful for them. And also, if you're listening and you're enjoying what you're listening to, I urge you to listen every week. You know, we're on we a whole other hour coming up. In fact, my second hour, I have millennials in the room. They're going to um, behave really well, they told me. But I have two SMU leaders of the Young America, of the um, Young Republicans, sorry. And when you come back from the break, we're going to have them join in. We'll have a second hour roundtable with millennials, and we'll get to talk about a big incident at SMU um, involving Louder with Crowder and a whole bunch of other school, uh, other just great topics so don't go away this is america can we talk i'm debbie georgiatis be back right after the break Where